You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. Today's episode is brought to you by the Locked On NBA show and the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs are here. Don't miss the big storylines and team previews. And I guess uh, now game one recaps you can find every day on the Locked On NBA podcast. Follow the Locked On NBA show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy day of a slate of game twos across the NBA. Uh, today, what I want to do is I want to open by talking about the NBA playoffs and some of the some of the more notable games from the weekend. I'm not going to talk about every single game. Of course, there were eight game ones since, uh, since, uh, since Friday's show. So I'll, I'll hit on about four of them, I guess, maybe, maybe I guess five games that I thought were notable pretty quickly here. Just some key storylines from the weekend. Um, and, uh, that'll be the first segment here Then I want to get into a, a couple more Timberwolves player reviews. There aren't really any Timberwolves related notes that cropped up over the weekend, but I want to continue the player review series. So today I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell season and Josh Akogi season. I'm going to reverse order of minutes played. So we've already talked about a handful of guys. Now we're to the middle of the roster and, and D'Angelo Russell's, uh, there because of the, uh, the injury. He only played in 42 games. So D'Lo and Akogi are the two guys we'll talk about today in the player review series, and that'll be the show. So um, as always, a reminder here off the top, you can follow, subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple as well as Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and at BBeacon. That's BBeacon, two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. All right, um, so let's talk NBA playoffs and this weekend, I guess we can go back and start with Saturday. Um, a couple of notable games on Saturday. I mean, I mean, grand scheme of things, Sunday's games are maybe a little bit more intriguing, but um, still some great action. Uh, Milwaukee beat Miami by two points in a game that was uh, a lot of good defense played, not surprisingly, in that series. Um, and that was that was arguably the most notable game, or certainly the closest game on Saturday. That was actually the opener, too. It was the first game of the day. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, Jimmy Butler struggled and almost had a triple-double, but he shot 4 of 22 from the floor. Giannis struggled um, outside the painted area. He was very good in the paint, as he always is. But I, I think I, the stat I saw is he was 0 of 14 outside the paint. And you'd believe it if you watched the game. He still had 26 points, 18 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals. Um, but the Heat held on in overtime to win this game. Of course, Chris Middleton hit the game winner. And I think I think the story was really the three-point shooting. Um, Milwaukee shot just five of 31 on threes, 16.1%. Miami was 20 of 50, 40%. So Miami would have won, right? Wrong. Game went to overtime. The Bucks won by two. A 15, uh, a, a three-point disparity of 15 makes. Five makes for the Bucks, and they win the game. Um, I mean, Drew Holiday was 0 of five on threes. Giannis was 0 of three. The bench combined to be 0 of five from, or excuse me, 0 of six from three for the Bucks. And yet they still somehow won this game. So uh, interesting. If you're Miami, you I guess you're okay with losing if Jimmy Butler shoots four of twenty-two. But if you out three-point shoot the other team by what 
uh, 24% and 15 made threes, you'd really like to win instead of <laughs> lose it overtime. Um, so disappointing game for Miami in that sense, but an entertaining game to be sure. Uh, really the only other, I mean, I, I shouldn't say the only other notable game. Dallas Dallas won by 10 over the Clippers in, uh, and the Clippers struggled to slow down Luka. It, it sounds like Kawhi Leonard is going to get more of an opportunity to guard Doncic next week, or I should say in game two this week. Um, and, and that was the one of the bigger issues in that game. But Dallas won by 10. Brooklyn, of course, beat Boston by 11. And then Portland and Denver, also a notable game because Portland won this thing kind of going away. I mean, I mean, they, they, Portland was down at halftime, but had a big third quarter and then really just kind of held on to it in the fourth. And uh, the Nuggets, I, I should say, really, it was more about Portland, the way that they chose to defend Nikola Jokic. They allowed him to score. Jokic had 34 points, 16 rebounds, but he had only one assist in this game, only one turnover too. So it's not like Jokic was making bad decisions, but Denver really, or uh, Portland, I should say, made a concerted effort to not let anybody else hurt them. Michael Porter Jr. still had 25 points, nine rebounds. Um, but outside of Porter Jr. and Jokic, there were only two other Nuggets that scored in double figures. And and the Blazers strategy was, was a strong one. Um, and, and the Nuggets weren't able to overcome it. They only attempted eight free throws for the game. The Nuggets did four of eight from the line for the entire game. Portland, it was 18 of 19. So there weren't a ton of fouls in this game period, but Portland made free throws. Denver didn't even get to shoot hardly any. Um, and that was, that was the biggest difference. There was also a three point disparity. Denver made eight less threes in Portland, but kudos hats off to Portland for how they chose to defend Jokic. That was the biggest takeaway for, for me in this game. Also, Carmelo Anthony got off to a scorching hot start. He had like 11 in the first quarter or something, ended up with 18 for the game. Of course, back in his original stomping grounds of Denver. So strong game for him off the bench for the Blazers. On Sunday, there there were just there were three fantastic games on Sunday. Uh, well, really, I mean, four pretty competitive games. Philadelphia uh, pulled away and beat beat Washington by seven. That was the the first game of the day. In the first matinee, the Lakers in Phoenix squared off, and this was a defensive struggle to be sure. Phoenix was strong defensively. The Lakers just couldn't get anything going on offense, and LeBron was just kind of. I mean, he didn't have a great game. I mean, he he had 18, 10, and 7, shot 6 of 13, but barely got into the paint, committed five turnovers. Anthony Davis had a horrendous game, 13.7 rebounds, 5 of 16 shooting for Anthony Davis. He was a team worse, minus 18 in a game that they only lost by nine. Nobody else on the Lakers had a worse plus minus than a minus nine. Um, this was about LeBron and Anthony Davis simply not able to get going. And, and Phoenix was ready. Devin Booker was fantastic. 34 points, eight assists, seven rebounds, shot 50% from the floor, uh, 13 to 26. So a great game for Devin Booker. And nobody else really needed to do much. I mean, Chris Paul only had seven points in this game. Uh, DeAndre Ayton had 21 and 16 and shot a crazy 10 of 11. But this was all about Booker offensively. And then it was the lacker, the Lakers' lack of execution on their end of the floor were the key takeaways here. Um, and then for my money, the most entertaining game of the weekend was Hawks-Knicks. Um, Hawks held on and won 107-105. They were downheaded to the fourth quarter. The Knicks mostly controlled the middle stages of this game. The Hawks took an early lead, but the Knicks were great in the second and third quarter. Um, I mean, Derek Rose was very good off the bench. He ended up with 17 points in 38 minutes in this game, ended up basically running with the starters, actually led the Knicks in minutes played. Um, Julius Randle had 15 and 12, but he didn't shoot the ball great. RJ Barrett had 14 points on 15 shots. This was, again, more just kind of a 
in a sense, a war of attrition. Um, neither team shot the ball great. They were both below 35% from three. There weren't a ton of free throws in this game, a combined 27 free throw attempts between the two teams. Um, but down the stretch, it was all, it was, it was just kind of blow for blow. I mean, Trey Young was fantastic down the stretch, 32 points on 23 shots, 10 assists, seven rebounds. He made the game winner in the final, in a, what was a tie game with 9.6 seconds or so left. He came down and hit a big floater, uh, to to give the Hawks a two point lead with 0.9 seconds left, and the Knicks didn't get a good shot off after the inbound play with with 0.9 left. Um, but a fun back and forth down the stretch. I mean, I mean Bogdanovich hit a big shot down the stretch. Uh, Kevin Herter had a big three pointer late in the game, um, and of course Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter had a big shot, and then the Knicks. It was a lot of it was a lot of. Uh, Derek Rose creating for others and and kicking the ball out for open shots. There was some offensive rebounding in there. Nerlens Noel had a couple of nice plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, Alec Burks hit some big shots. Twenty seven points off the bench for Burks um, uh, on thirteen shots. So a great game for him. Just just really kind of a fun game. Um, and two teams that outside of Trey Young, there's not. And, and I guess now Julius Randle, you wouldn't say, oh, there's a ton of star power here, but. Um, a lot, really entertaining. And of course, it's always fun to watch playoff basketball in the garden. Um, and it, it's fun to watch Tom Thibodeau stock, stock the sideline as well. So that's a fun series in my mind. And that was a really, really fun game. Uh, the final game of the weekend was Grizzlies Jazz. The Grizzlies held on and won by three. The Grizzlies had a modest lead at halftime. They were down after the first quarter, but kind of, but had a big second quarter, pulled ahead, built, built their lead, built on their lead just a little bit, headed to the fourth and actually led by as many as 17 in the fourth quarter. And Utah made a late rally, got within a couple of points uh, or actually a one point game. Um, Dylan Brooks made a shot on offense and the Jazz had one last chance, uh, but Boyan Bogdanovich missed a three at the buzzer and the Grizzlies held on to win, or I should say missed a three with about two seconds left. The Grizzlies held on to win by three, 112-109. I mean, credit to the Grizzlies, again, a good defensive plan. Um, to be physical with the Jazz, the Jazz, of course, would love to just shoot threes all day, and and the Jazz made, or excuse me, the Grizzlies made things difficult um, for Utah. And uh, Dylan Brooks was fantastic after having a really disappointing season, in my mind. Um, I, I thought Dylan Brooks had a, had a really disappointing season, but he finished with 31 points on 13 to 26 shooting, so shooting 50 percent from the field, seven rebounds, a couple of assists, couple steals, couple blocks. Um, Kyle Anderson had 14.6 steals. And John Morant was good, 26 points on 21 uh, shots. But this was all about Dylan Brooks and the defensive game plan forcing Utah into a really difficult game. Um, Utah only shot 25.5% from three, 12 of 47 from deep. Jordan Clarkson was 0 of 8. The bench combined for the for the Jazz was 1 of 15 from outside the arc. And uh, really, it was, it was uh, Boyan Bogdanovich who kind of kept the jazz in this thing. I mean, 29 points for him. Conley had 22 and 11, um, but a great defensive game plan by the Grizzlies and a fantastic game from Dylan Brooks. This was a fun Sunday. was a lot of fun. Um, all those games were, were fun to watch. Um, and, and generally speaking, a good weekend of basketball. Now on Monday, there's only two game twos, Miami and Milwaukee play at six thirty central and Portland and Denver play after that both games on TNT. So uh, a couple of good games, on Monday that we'll talk about on Tuesday's show as well. Okay, next I want to get into player reviews. We're going to talk about D'Angelo Russell first, and then we'll talk about Josh Akogi. Um, So that's coming up next. Before we do that, though, let's talk about our friends at Headspace. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, or simply be better? 
Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by, and for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million, six zero million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA today. Hey, let's also talk about Built Bar. What's your favorite Built Bar flavor? There's nine delicious flavors right now you can get, and uh, I'm passionate about coconut, coconut almond, mint brownie. If I'm at, I gotta go four. If I'm gonna name four, it's coconut, coconut almond, mint brownie, and salted caramel. But there is something for everyone. If you can't choose, or if you just haven't tried them all yet, you can get a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Again, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time. It tastes exactly like a candy bar, no joke. You have to try it. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, but only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and only four grams net carbs. Get whatever flavor you want. Again, the mix box is probably the way to go if you're if you're new to Built Bar, and you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's talk about D'Angelo Russell. So again, real quickly, player review season here at Locked On Wolves. We're going in reverse order of total minutes played. So I've already reviewed Jarrett Culver, Jake Lehman, Jalen Noel, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jordan McLaughlin, and Jared Vanderbilt. Today, I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell and Josh Akogi. Um, and we'll start with D'Lo because he had one minute less played than Josh Akogi. So I'm, I'm going, I was loose with those rules early, but now we're going to go, we're going to go hard and fast to these rules to finish out the roster. Um, D'Lo this season, it was really a tale of two halves. He started the season really struggling. I mean, outside of those first couple of games when the Wolves played well as a whole, but once Towns went out, D'Angelo Russell is not built to be the star on a team. We know that. It's not a surprise. I mean, he we saw that in Golden State, and granted, they had other issues as well, as did this year's Timberwolves team. But in Brooklyn, he was he was the best player, but he had some other close to star caliber type players that he was playing with with the Brooklyn Nets in their one good season, and and they overachieved a little bit that year. And to date, that's still his best year. Um, D'Lo probably, in in all honesty, isn't a max contract player. He he's just he's a little bit miscast that way. However, he's a fantastic secondary star or, or secondary scorer, I should say. Um, and, and that's exactly what we saw once Carl Anthony Towns returned with Towns out primarily, this is the, this isn't, he had a couple of good games, right? But he struggled to be consistent on offense and, and there just wasn't much interest on the defensive end of the floor. Now we know now sitting here that D'Angelo Russell and Ryan Saunders didn't exactly see eye to eye in a lot of situations. And perhaps that, that may have played into his lack of interest defensively. 
Um, it certainly played into how the Wolves played offensively. And so the first half of the season for D'Lo was really difficult. Um, he played a little bit better really once the calendar flipped to, to February. And then as the season went on, of course, then he ended up with a couple of different injuries and ultimately getting knee surgery and missing, uh, I think it was roughly six weeks. And when he came back, he talked about how this is the best he's ever felt. He finally was in shape and his knee wasn't hurting, et cetera, et cetera. And he played very, very well for the balance of the season. Um, defensive Defensively, he still struggled, but the effort was there. He was at least attempting to get into a stance to play defensively, to fight through screens is the biggest thing for him on the perimeter is he's, he's not ultra athletic and he's not a fantastic defender, but he's a big body defender. And if he can at least give you some effort in fighting through screens, trying to get into passing lanes and stay in front of people as best he can, that's what you're expecting from him. He's not going to lock anybody down. He's not, he doesn't have the tools to be an all NBA defensive player. Nobody's asking him to be that, that, you know, the Timberwolves are just going to ask him to try on defense on a consistent basis to stay in front of guys, to clog passing lanes, again, to fight through screens, um, to talk. I mean, there were there were times early this season, and I called him out on the show, where D'Lo off the ball was worse than D'Lo on the ball. He would just kind of stand there and point, and he would get back cut on. He would allow wide open corner threes because he'd sag too far into the paint to try and, I guess, play, and I'm saying this with air quotes, help defense, to, you know, to try and dig on post players and guys driving. It, it just wasn't good defense. And as the season wore on, it improved. And and it's not like suddenly he figured it out because D'Lo is a smart player. He, he started trying. That's what it was. It was the effort level was there. The second part of the season that wasn't there early in the season. It was very, very inescapably clear. And off ball, he started to improve defensively. And, and that's where, because of his high basketball IQ and how good of a passer he is, Everybody knows he's a smart player and he can get a couple of those cheap steals a game, not cheap steals. That's not the right way to say that, but jumping passing lanes and D'Lo rarely jumps a passing lane and misses. He doesn't gamble. It's not Corey Brewer, right? D'Lo picks his spots and is good at that. Um, and he can, he can steal. And that's actually what Anthony Edwards started doing. Although he, he had a few more miscues in that department, but, um, if D'Lo can get a couple steals a game doing that and play adequate on ball defense, then He's, he's a very clear plus player and makes the Timberwolves way better when he's on the floor. Offensively, he was very good this season. D'Angelo Russell was. Um, you look at his three-point shooting percentage, it was actually a career high, 38.7%, which was uh, pretty easily a career high. And three-point attempts per game was down a little. His minutes were down. Um, so the better way to look at that would be three-point rate, which was still down slightly from last year, but much ahead of where he was in Brooklyn or early in his career with the Lakers. 47.5% of his shot attempts were threes. And he had a true shooting percentage north of 55%, which is great. Um, the free-throw rate actually was up a little bit, or I should say it was down from last year as a whole, uh, but up, up significantly from where it had been for his career. Um, and we saw that increase as the year went on. I called him out early in the season for just a complete aversion getting into the paint. And, and with the caveat that D'Angelo Russell's never been a guy to try and draw fouls, get in among the trees. I mean, he's a big point guard, but he's not ultra athletic. He doesn't like taking contact. He doesn't, um, he doesn't compete with verticality really at all. Um, but as the season wore on, he became more willing to do that. And I want to get into some of the B-ball index numbers here in a second, which I've been trying to do now with every player on the roster um, to, to dig in a little bit more to the metrics and also play types and, and what those are telling us about a given player. But as a whole, D'Lo had a really strong offensive season. Um, his, his rebounding rate was down a little, so is his assist rate and usage rate. But that's just a, a, a function of playing more with a secondary ball handler or a second 
primary ball handler, really, in Ricky Rubio. And then also Anthony Edwards taking the keys of the offense down the stretch of the season at times and D'Lo playing more off the ball, which is exactly how he should be used. And I'll explain why in a second. Um, but D'Lo played more with Rubio. He played more with Edwards. He also came off the bench for a good chunk of the, of the latter part of the season. That's not going to be his role moving forward. Um, but if the Wolves, if Chris Finch can figure out how to use D'Lo, Edwards, and Towns all together sharing the same ball, this offense could be extremely difficult to stop. And a huge part of that's because D'Lo is a fantastic off-ball player, a good cutter, and a very good shooter. I talked about this when the Wolves acquired Ricky Rubio, and when I, also when I was making the argument for them to to draft LaMelo Ball back in the fall, um, is because D'Lo is a really good spot-up shooter, and that continued this year. Uh, according to B-Ball Index, D'Angelo Russell shot 39.1% on catch and shoot three-point attempts. That's 72nd percentile, grades out as a B. And um, as a corner three-point shooter, he was 48.3% from the corners, 85th percentile, that's an A-. minus, And also overall in spot-up opportunities, not not specific to three-pointers, but spot-up points per possession was 1.25, 97th percentile league-wide, that's an A. And uh, D'Lo is just a really good off-ball player. As a cutter, too, um, he didn't get very many opportunities, but he's a solid cutter. I mean, he, he averaged one point per possession on cutter. That's below where you want it as a cutter. It's below where you'd want it to be, but that's a smaller sample size. And because of his IQ and size, D'Lo can and, and has been in his career a, a solid cutter. And that's an important thing to note as we move to next year. Um, obviously, he was very good from the perimeter. That was clear. I talked about that already. Uh, B-Ball Index also shows that he was pretty mediocre in terms of getting to the basket and finishing at the basket. Um, his pass out rate, we're all in the 50 something percentile, which is C's and C pluses, because when he drives, he doesn't kick the ball out as much as you'd think. He basically has made up his mind to shoot a floater or kind of shoot it off balance. Like, I don't know, not, he doesn't really get to the rim as much as he kind of fades baseline and, and throws shots up off the glass. And it works enough of the time to keep teams off balance and he can draw fouls occasionally, but in terms of his shots at the rim per 75 possessions, he was 29th percentile. So he still isn't getting through him at a high clip. But early in the season, that was l much lower. I mean, it was like maybe once a game. And by the end of the year, it was three, four times a game he was getting to the rim. And that's all the difference you need. If he can average, you know, three shots at the rim a game, he's going to draw some more fouls. And he's a great free throw shooter, of course. And he's going to keep defenses off balance a little bit more. And that's all the Wolves are going to be looking for. But outside of that, his offensive game this year is fantastic. Um, defensively, again, still not great, but it improved as the season went on. And as long as he can be decent there, he's going to be a plus player. Still, overall, all the advanced metrics thought he was so good on offense that he was a plus player. I shouldn't say all of them, most of them. Um, Real plus minus had him as a positive 1.0 for the season, which is, uh, you know, they have that as an 80th percentile for his for his role. There were a couple Raptor, um, which is the uh, 538.com metric and LeBron, which is B-Ball indexes, both had him as a minus player. Uh, but LeBron box score uh, had him as a positive box plus minus a basketball reference did as well. He was really good offensively. And, and remember that takes into account his poor start to the season. So all things considered, if I'm going to give D'Angelo Russell a letter grade this year, I give him a B plus because he was that good offensively after his injury. He accepted the role off the bench. He embraced the role off the bench, knew he was still going to close the majority of games and played really well with both Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and ultimately played well with Ricky Rubio down the stretch, which was their minutes together were terrible early in the season when Ryan Saunders was coach. And I don't know if it was completely system or familiarity um, or a lack of familiarity early in the season, rather. But by the end of the year, those 
two point guards played really well together in the backcourt for stretches. And he played okay with Jordan McLaughlin as well. Um, so for D'Lo, it's all about the defensive effort and the consistency on offense and the buy-in on offense. And I feel like Russell fits with well with what Chris Finch wants to do because he can play both on and off the ball. And he's such a good spot up shooter that again, if he can try on defense, this thing can work with him as the second or third score, depending on where you put Anthony Edwards in the hierarchy at this point on the Timberwolves and whether or not he's in a vacuum worth a max contract. And again, I would argue he's not, he's got a max contract and the wolves have to make this work. And I think that they can provided consistent defensive effort and buy in on offense. Um, so generally speaking, a positive season from Russell, again, it was more just a lack of, of games, right? I mean, he played in what 42 games of the Timberwolves 72. So he missed 30 games this season combined with cat missing 22 games. And there's your season. There's why the Timberwolves finished with the sixth worst record and not in the conversation for the play in, which is where they should have been. Um, and it's also why one of the reasons why I have a lot more hope for next season. So, um, anyway, next what I want to do is I want to talk about Josh Akogi's season, which was also, uh, a bit, a bit up and down. Um, unfortunately more parts down than up, but I want to talk about Josh anyway, and, and what happened this year with him. First though, let's talk about Indeed. You're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests that add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. That's a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's review Josh Akogi's season. Josh Akogi had his, I think we can go ahead and call it his worst season of his Still young NBA career. By the way, this this is shocking to me. If you'd have told me Josh Kogi's been in the league for five years, I'd be like, ah, that seems a little bit long. But you know, you could talk me into that. And and obviously I've watched every single Timberwolves game for the last five years. But this was only his third season. And it's so easy to forget that. He was only 22 years old. Um, still only 22. He doesn't turn 23 until September 1st this year. And it just feels like, because outside of Carl Anthony Towns, he's the longest tenured Timberwolf, it feels like he's been on the team forever. Uh, but this was, you know, this was Tom Thibodeau's, he was Tom Thibodeau's final draft pick. Tibbs was fired midway through Akogi's rookie season. It just, it's all so hard to believe um, when you really think about it. He had a career low in games played and minutes played this season um, and and wasn't as good defensively as we've gotten to to know or as we've, as we've seen in the past from Josh Akogi. And to make matters much worse is the offense was was brutal this season for Josh. Um, Three-point shooting, was it actually finished up slightly better than last year. And when I say slightly, I mean by 0.03%, 26.9% instead of 26.6%. Um, 
but the three point shooting was bad. The free throw rate was down a little from last year. And and when he got to the line, the free throw shooting was down just a little. The overall field goal percentage was down. Um, I guess technically he had a better offensive season than he did as a rookie, but I think that's simply because the Timberwolves figured out how to use him as the season went on. Ryan Saunders was allowing a Kogi to function as a normal wing. And, and frankly, on offense, Josh Kogi's not a quote unquote normal wing. Um, he's just not a good enough offensive player to stick him in the corner and say, okay, Josh, you know, knock down open threes when you get, when you get the chance, he shot 27.9% from the corners this year. That's really bad. Um, last year was 34.8%. And so I guess maybe the prevailing wisdom there from Saunders and the coaching staff was, Hey, if he can shoot 35% from the corners, fine. But he didn't. He shot 28% from the corners. Uh, for his career, he's 31.5% on corner three-point attempts, which is obviously, again, not good. Um, he can't create with the ball in his hands in the half court. You don't want him handling in the pick and roll. You don't want him doing anything on the perimeter in the half court offense. You want him being a terror in transition. And then as as uh, as Chris Finch figured out or knew immediately when he joined the Timberwolves was to use him on offense more as a power forward, not on defense. Defensively, he should not be playing the four. He should be guarding the opposing team's best wing offensive player, right? Uh, Whether that's a two or a three, he's still a very good defender, but offensively put him in the dunker spot. Use him like Jared Vanderbilt. I mean, he, he, in theory can shoot threes and, and Vanderbilt doesn't shoot threes. So yeah, I mean, he can, he can extend out to the three point line, worst case scenario in a pinch, but you want him in the dunker spot along the baseline. You want him as a cutter. You want to use him like you are Jared Vanderbilt and think of him as a smaller version of Jared Vanderbilt, still with a very good wingspan, but a shorter version of Jared Vander- Vanderbilt. And as soon as as soon as the Timberwolves figured that out, Akogi had a much better finish to the season. He was much more uh, usable down the stretch this season than he was early because the Wolves really hid him on offense and limited his role. He's a pretty good cutter, and we'll get into the B-ball index numbers here in just a moment. Um, but defensively, he was still very good, and, and he had a variety of uh, of assignments. I mean, early in the season, again, Ryan Saunders had him playing the four, and that's just credit to Okogi for being you know all for it and saying like, hey, I'll play the five if you want me to, and all the stuff he said, which is great. But it's just not the best way to use him. Um, and actually, let's jump into some of the B-ball index numbers now too, because they actually have um, metrics that show what positions given players defended. So, so uh, Akogi spent more than he spent, this is really interesting. He spent 23% or more of his time guarding three different positions. So the position he guarded the most was, was players classified as shooting guards, 27.2% of the time. Second most was point guards, 24.7% of the time. And third was small forwards, 23.4% of the time. He still spent 16.5% of his time guarding power forwards this season. Um, but still, it, that just shows he can guard one through three and in a pinch one through four um, adequately. And, and he did that. In terms of usage tier, uh, Akogi spent 35, to be exact, 34.7% of his time. So more a third, more than a third of his minutes on the floor, he was guarding players in usage tier one meaning the highest usage players on the floor, which is usually the opposing team's best players. That's 99th percentile league-wide. So he's the definition of being the Timberwolves' defensive stopper. He's the guy that the Wolves are relying on to stop the opposing team's best offensive wing players. And again, to Josh's credit, it's an assignment that he embraces and loves to have. Um, I mean, all the advanced metrics suggest that he was he was a decent defensive player. He was maybe slightly above average in most cases between B's and A's, per, uh, you know, uh, grading out on, on B-ball index. 
and that seems about right. Um, now, remember, he was taking the toughest defensive assignment. So those numbers are, are generally going to be a little bit tougher on him because of the assignments he got. He's still the Timberwolves' best consistent perimeter defender. There's no question about it. I mean, Jarrett Culver struggled this year. I already talked about him a few episodes ago. Um, I mean, Ricky Rubio is a good defender, but really is only guarding point guards. Josh Okogie can guard one through three and some fours and do it well. Um, Jade McDaniels is obviously getting there and and can guard some of the bigger players. Same with Jared Vanderbilt uh, to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent. But Okogie is still that guy. And I still think there's a chance he's on this team next year. But it also... I, my money is actually on him being moved in some sort of a deal this offseason to find somebody who has at least a little bit more can be a little bit more of a threat on offense because as it stands and I talked about this when I did Vanderbilt's profile I think on Friday is you can't play Vanderbilt and Akogi together and you certainly can't play them with Ricky Rubio you can't have that many guys with a lack of an outside shot in the rotation and Vanderbilt is has a little bit more upside at this point, most likely. He knows who he is offensively, maybe has a little bit more of an understanding of who he is offensively, and can guard multiple positions. So in my mind, Akogi's probably the guy who's the odd man out. Um, still, he's a valuable perimeter defender. He's still the best perimeter defender on the Wolves roster, and so there is a world in which he's on the team next year, but it wouldn't shock me if he's moved. Um Quickly, I want to bounce back to some of those offensive numbers. As a cutter, Josh Kogi actually wasn't great. He was 18th percentile this year, but that's how you have to use him um, in in the half court, right? Kogi didn't have, outside of putbacks, points per possession, which he had a good points per possession on putbacks. He's a pretty good rebounder when when he gets in there and, and attempts to rebound the ball. He, he's decent in the paint. Outside of putbacks, he didn't have a single play type in the half court that was above a C, and most of them were Ds and Fs um, in terms of B-ball indexes grade, where that grades out in terms of percentile. So as a pick and roll ball handler, 0.77 points per possession, that's 37th percentile D+. plus. Uh, uh, isolation, 0.76 points per possession. Not that he had a ton of attempts there, that's 28th percentile. Handoffs, 0.81 points per possession, 24th percentile, a D-. minus. Um, coming off of screens as a, as a spot-up shooter, all of those things, 0.78 points per possession as a spot-up shooter. That's an F, 14th percentile. His best one, interestingly enough, was as pick-and-roll roll man. 1.03 points per possession, 49th percentile, grades out as a C. And we saw Chris Finch do that. I don't think Ryan Saunders really ever did it, but we saw Chris Finch put a Kogi at um, the elbow in some different horn sets and kind of as the as as the roll man in some situations. Um to use him more as a power forward offensively if he's not in the dunker spot, but then that puts him in a position where he could be getting the ball uh, down in the paint a little bit more often. And I thought that that was an interesting way to use a Kogi and in a sense, hide him. It also made defenses make a decision on who they were going to guard and what they were going to do in the pick and roll because a Kogi going downhills as a, as a roller isn't, it's the best way you can use him outside of, if you're going to use him on offense, that's that's the best way you're going to use him. And and you're going to, um, we saw this against the Utah Jazz. I mean, it forced the Jazz to make decisions on what they were doing and it forced them to put Rudy Gobert in a weird situation where he was suddenly guarding Josh Okogie. And that's not where you want to put arguably the league's best defensive players guarding one of the worst offensive players in the league. Um, and the Wolves did a really good job with that. Chris Finch did a really good job with that in that game specifically. There were other instances as well. Um, but still, the point here is Akogi needs to be used more as a, as a no offense four within the offense um, in, in the half court 
and only really do damage in transition and on the offensive glass. Defensively, he can guard positions one through three and sometimes fours, which makes him a playable player. He probably isn't a starter, especially if the Wolves are starting Jared Vanderbilt um, and they want to start, say, both D'Lo and or if they want to start D'Lo, Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards, you can't also start Josh Okogie. So he's probably more of an energy guy off the bench, a matchup defender, depending on how game flow is going and what the matchup is with the opposition. Um, He's going to be more of that 15 to 20 minutes per game guy off the bench like he was late in the season for Chris Finch than he was, uh, you know, more of a high uh, a high minutes starter early in the season or, or last year for Ryan Saunders. So um, that's how I think we'll see Josh Okogie used moving forward. If I'm going to give Josh Okogie a letter grade for this season, I've got to give him a C plus uh, because this again was the most frustrating season for Josh. But if we were going to grade him the latter part of the season, that grade would be a little bit higher because he embraced the role he was given. And he's always been that way. Josh has always taken on whatever role the coach has given him. Um, And I thought he had a strong close to the season. And if he's used in this role next year, he could be a plus player for the Wolves and and is still a very good defender. But he was so lost defensively early, or excuse me, offensively early in the season that it's hard to not give him a grade like a C plus. So C plus for Josh, hopefully a better season next year. And we'll see if he's on the roster. I think that'll be one of the more interesting developments this offseason. One of the more, uh, I guess, key and as I said, longest tenured Timberwolves players who could be on the move just based on roster construction, contracts, etc. So, um, all right, that's all we have for you today here on the show. Thanks once again for listening to Locked On Wolves. Of course, Locked On Wolves is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Today's episode was brought to you by Locked On NBA and the NBA playoffs. Don't miss the big storylines that you can find every day on the Locked On NBA show. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can also follow this show anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app that I just mentioned. You can also follow on Twitter, at LockedOnTWolves, and at BBeacon. That's BBeacon, two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow and every day this week, Monday through Friday, to talk about more NBA playoff action. And really, I, I think this week we'll finish off the player review series. So be sure you're subscribed, you're following the show, and that you check back for tomorrow's episode. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.